Yeah, hey, so let's, um, let's take this and let's pray and let's submit ourselves under it, okay? Let's pray. God, we come before you knowing that this is your word. We are your people. Your spirit wants to say some things to us today. You want to revive us and refresh us and convict us and renew us, renew our spirits. You want to renew our hope in you. You want to anchor us in you. I pray that your spirit would do the work. Your spirit would teach today that all the words that I've prepared to say does, does not matter, um, but Lord, I know that you have prepared a message for your people today, and I pray that your people and those who are not your people would hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Daniel chapter 5, last week we covered the first half. This week we're going to hit the second half. Um, God, when God gives us something, we have two jobs, attribute and distribute. When God gives us something, we have it for a period of time. We have it with God's purposes that are wrapped up in it. And our job is to take the thing that God has given us and to ask the question, what are God's purposes for this? How does it point to the glory of God? How can I attribute to God what he deserves in this thing? And then how can I distribute the knowledge of God to those around me? Those are your two jobs with everything. And with everything that God gives you, there's purposes behind it. And because those purposes are there, there's also an expiration date on everything that God gives you. Unless it's eternal like his word, unless it's heaven. Now, these, these created things, these things that he gives us, they have expiration dates. And so if we're not in tune to that purpose, and maybe if we're ignorant of his purposes, maybe we're naive, maybe we're, we're defiant with those purposes. What's going to happen when those expiration dates hit? We're not going to be ready for it. We're not going to be ready when God's purpose for that thing, giving you that thing, comes to an end, and now you're scrambling, you're frantic, and you're like, I wasn't ready for this. Um, I have a three-year-old, and I do her bedtime routine every night. I've taken my kids' uh, bedtime routine throughout the years, and I have a three-year-old now, so the other ones are a little older, and now it's just her. And it's so sweet that I get to do that, but it never fails that at every point of the routine, she forgets the purpose of each one. And, you know, she's three. It's expected. But, you know, bath time is great. When you tell her, all right, it's bath time, she's like, woo, sweet, bath time. But I guarantee you she's not excited because she knows the purpose of that time. How do I know? Well, because when it comes time to wash her up, it feels a little bit more like I'm trying to hold a fish than anything else. Like when it comes time to brush her teeth, I swear every time it's like she can't figure out why this plastic pink thing with bristles and, and, and paste on it is, is pointing towards her face. She can't remember why. So I have to rem remind her of the purpose of, of each of these things. So I'm a little bit older. I'm 43. So I've become a little bit more seasoned as a dad. So I'm, I'm thinking work harder, not smarter. 
And, I, and I've learned over time <laughs> that all it takes is just a simple reminder of the purpose of what we're doing. Hey, Violet, did, did, do you remember why we brush our teeth? Hey, hey Violet, um, uh, even though like you're running around, <laughs> you're running around naked and cold after, after the bath and, uh, and you're like, I'm cold. And I'm like, hey, Violet, do you remember like why we get into our jammies? It's because I can get you warm and so you don't have to be cold anymore. And, and, and a lot of times she doesn't get it, but sometimes she's like, oh, and I don't have to fight with her and she'll come to me. Uh, in Daniel chapter five, we are um, coming to a point in the story where we're going to hit a nation, one of, the greatest, one of the greatest empires that have ever existed is coming to its expiration date. And um, the, the, the Babylonians are dealing with that expiration date and the children of Israel are dealing with that expiration date. They're all looking at it. And some of them are concerned about God's purposes for the, for, for, for the kingdom of Babylon, and some of them aren't. And some of them are handling that expiration date better than others. And we're on this story of this last king of Babylon who we're going to see is not ready for the expiration date. It's, it's because he's not only not concerned, he's not, only not in, he's not only indifferent towards God's purposes for Babylon and God's purposes for him as the king of Babylon, but he's actually defiant with God's purposes in Babylon. Let me ask you, how different would you, if you were on the Titanic, how different would you live while you were on the Titanic, if you knew it was going to sink. Babylon was like a Titanic. It was like this, this unsinkable ship. Nobody was going to get to Babylon. I mean, the, the amount of power that we saw Nebuchadnezzar have is insane. But we're seeing that kingdoms have expiration dates. Empires have expiration dates. Why do they have expiration dates? Well, because God's purposes are attached to them. So in Daniel chapter five, we have this king who, if I'll just recap last week, if you weren't here, uh, I'll recap kind of what happened verses one through 16. So we have this king who throws a party. And the reason why he's throwing this party is so that he can take all the glory that Babylon has, all the power and all the majesty and all the glory that it has. The reason why he threw this party was so that he can attribute all of that to worthless things like gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone. That is why he threw the party. Now, in the midst of, of that, throwing the party, not only did he attribute glory to those things, but he also trusted in those things to deliver him and to defend his kingdom. Because what did we learn last week? Babylon was surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. They were, they were coming to their end. If they, were, if they were honest about the situation, they'd be like, we're done. We're conquered. We need to admit defeat. 
But instead of that, he looks to his, uh, these worthless things of, of gold and silver and wood and stone. And he's like, these things are going to defend me. I'm just going to hunker down and I'm going to look to these things to save me. And in the midst of that, he grabs the vessels that were taken from the house of God the goblets that, that years ago Nebuchadnezzar had when he plundered Jerusalem and stole the items as uh, spoils of war. He stole the, the, uh, the vessels from the temple and he put them in a storage. Now this king is pulling them out of storage and he's using them to drink wine. And why is he drinking wine? Again, because he's attributing and he's celebrating these, these worthless things and, and tributing to them and trusting in them. And he, he pulls out these, these goblets and he's like, the, the God of, of Jerusalem, the, the God of Yahweh, um, the, the God of the Jews, I, I'm just, he, he's, he's worthless. He's not worth anything. He's not coming to save his people. So he, he pulls out these vessels and as he's drinking wine with these vessels, a hand appears a disembodied hand, just a hand, starting to write something on a plaster wall. And he loses it. He completely freaks out. He turns pale. His knees are knocking. He probably wets his pants. He starts calling on all of his, his, his people to give him answers. What is this? What's happening? What's with the hand? What does it say? Nobody can help him. And then Queen Mother comes in, his mom. She comes in and she's like, hey, you don't have to be so scared. I remember this guy, Daniel. Daniel has always been known to step in at a time like this and give answers. So call upon him. He'll be able to interpret this for you. And in desperation, he calls upon Daniel, pulls him forward and says, hey, I've heard about you that you can, you can help out in these kind of situations, that you can give interpretations to hard things. And so here is Daniel standing before the very same king who just blasphemed his God and is now asking him for help. And that's where we left off last week. So, so what happens next? How does Daniel respond to this? Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. What is, he, what is he responding to? Well, Belshazzar had offered him, he said, if somebody can interpret this for me, man, I'll give you the third position, third highest ruler in the kingdom. And I'll give you a gold chain and I'll give you purple robes of royalty Man, I'll give you as much as I can. If you will just give me the answers, I'll offer this to you. And what does Daniel say back? It's worthless to me. Keep it. Give it to someone else. What does he say next? Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him, him the interpretation. So what's he saying? He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll interpret it for you. I'll read it for you but I'm not doing it for you. I don't work for you. <laughs> Keep your gifts. I don't care. I work for my king. 
So, he, so he's going to agree to read it and interpret it. Just keep going in the, in the story. Let's read verses 18 and 19. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Nebuchadnezzar, who it says uh, your father here, we don't know how they were related. It could have been uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's widow had a son, and that could be who, who Belshazzar is. We don't know, but it also could mean uh, uh, predecessor or successor. But um, Nebuchadnezzar's glory and power and majesty is acknowledged here. Like, yeah, he did have power. Yeah, he did have unbridled power. He could say anything he wanted, and it would happen. And if he wanted someone to die, they're dead. If he wanted someone to stay alive, they'll stay alive. But it, his greatness wasn't just acknowledged. It was attributed. You notice that? Where did it come from? Twice, uh, Daniel, as he's saying this, says immediately, he says, who gave Nebuchadnezzar his power? Who gave Nebuchadnezzar his glory and majesty? The most high. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness. And because of what Daniel says here, we know why all the peoples and the nations of the earth trembled in fear of this man. And it wasn't because of him. It was because God gave him this greatness and glory. So we know why people trembled before him. But, verse 20. Read verse 20 and 21. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. So the same God who gave greatness and glory and power and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar took it. Why? Because he failed to attribute. He failed to, to point to this is where my glory and majesty came from. And God brought him down from the throne and he made him look like and live like a beast. But here, here's what's really cool about Neb the story of God's dealings with Neb Nebuchadnezzar. God didn't just kill him. He could have. I think in God's justice, he could have been like, you're done, dude. But you know what? You know why he did it? Because it seemed that he had a redemptive purpose behind, a, a redemptive purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. Notice the key word 
until. Where it says that um, he, he was brought down from his throne and the glory was taken from him and he was living among, you know, the children of mankind as like a, a beast and with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass and, blah, blah, and so on and so forth. And then it says, until he knew that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of mankind. That speaks of purpose. God had a purpose for Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted him to know the God of heaven. And the reason why he wanted him to know, not just, not just know of him, but really truly know him, and, and we do think that Nebuchadnezzar came to a point where he truly knew him. How do we know that? Because chapter four, this, this, uh, what Daniel's recounting for Belshazzar is all in chapter four. If you missed that, go a couple of weeks back. Sam, Pastor Sam preached a sermon on that um, and unpacked that story. But it ends with Nebuchadnezzar distributing the knowledge of God. So he attributes to God what belongs to him. And then he distributes that knowledge to all the people that he was ruling over, all the peoples and nations. And he does it through praise. He's like, the most high God is worthy to be praised. That's how chapter four ends. But why is Daniel bringing this up to Belshazzar? Well, it's because he's going for the jugular. Watch. Verse 22. Let's read verses 22 and 23. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Key phrase right there. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, love this, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Man, he nails them. He uses that, you know, he's telling the story, he's like recounting, recounting, and then he's like, you, you, Belshazzar, you knew all of this. He brings out the worst part about what this king just did at the party. It wasn't just that he was getting wasted. It wasn't just that he um, invited all of his friends and he was hunkering down in denial that his kingdom was defeated already. It wasn't just that. And it wasn't even just that he pulled the vessels from the storehouse to use in idol worship. It was that in all that he did, all of that, he knew he knew that the God of heaven ruled over all mankind. He took the knowledge that he had, all that God did through Nebuchadnezzar, he knew all of it. And this is why Daniel says, you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. So basically he's saying, he's giving a preface. So notice he hasn't actually read or interpreted the writing yet. 
he's giving him a preface. He's like, he's like, I want you to understand. I want everybody to understand the reason why your party has just been interrupted with something really weird and eerie, like a, like a disembodied hand. We're giving you the context. Daniel's giving him the context of why the writing on the wall has to be, why this is happening. So here it comes. He's, he's finally going to read it and interpret the writing. Read verses 24 through 28. Then from his presence, the hand was sent. This is still Daniel talking to Belshazzar. From his presence, the hand was sent, God's presence. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So apparently, what was on this plaster wall was for, well, three words, one, one of the words was repeated. So basically just said this, numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That's what it said. But apparently it was in a language that was either, that the people in the room didn't, didn't know because when they, it says they couldn't even read it. So somehow it communicated those words and Daniel, when he walked up and he, lo- and he looks at it to read it, somehow he understood that those words numbered, numbered, weighed, divided, meant uh, that, uh, that God had numbered the days of Babylon and that uh, Belshazzar had been weighed and found wanting and that the, his kingdom would be given to another kingdom. So he interprets that for him. And apparently this, this was some sort of a, a mysterious uh, uh, riddle or something. Because apparently these words like sounded like Aramaic words. This is so interesting to me. So like apparently the, the, the word that was up there sounded like the word for numbered. It sounded like the word for weighed and sounded like the word for divided. So God gave him supernatural ability to see these and give him the message. I think the most important part is that God is responding to Belshazzar and he's DMing. Belshazzar. He's like, dear Belshazzar, you have, uh, you have, there, there is a number of your days and there is a number that has been given. There is a purpose behind your kingdom and your rule. And those, those days are coming to an end. The expiration date is now. You know what that tells me? That tells me that, that the gods and the worst, worthless things that he attributed glory to and that he looked to defend him, guess what? They didn't, they didn't come. They didn't do anything for him. They didn't defend him. They're not saving him from the Medes and the Persians. I think that's what God is highlighting here. Secondly, 
To, to say that you've been weighed and found wanting is basically just to say that you're a fake. Uh, somebody said that uh, to, to be found wanting is basically to be declared to be a character rather than possessing character. And thirdly, that, uh, that though he didn't attribute his glor- the glory of Babylon to God, um, he didn't realize and, and admit that, that the glory of Babylon had been given by God. Now the glory of Babylon is taken and given to another kingdom, to another world power. Man, this is like the burn of all burns. God showing up and judging this king who chose to harden his heart. Basically, this king, what he did was he basically spit in God's face and said, what are you going to do about it? And this is, this is God's response to him. But how differently would he have lived if he would have just admitted that the Titanic was sinking and let go? And there's no indicator that he repented. Uh, look at and read verse 29 and 30. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was, uh, was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why did he take, to, he, he just refused it. Why is, he, why is he receiving it now? Why isn't he like, no, I don't want it. He's taking it. We'll circle back to that. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. It's a sad story. It's kind of heavy, right? And we can admit that. But... (laughs) You know, then this isn't probably what I would have chose to teach on if I was going to teach a topical. But this is why we teach expositionally. We, we need to hear this story, and I'll get into why we need to hear this. But interesting that, that the first time um, that Daniel uh, refused the gifts, he's like, no, those are worthless. I don't need them. But the second time that they're actually given to him, he, he actually receives them. I think it's because he sensed God's purpose behind this. Remember what I talked about, like, if we, if we sense God's purpose, we understand God's purposes for something that he gives us. Like, oh, well, maybe this is an opportunity for me to attribute to God what's his and to distribute the knowledge of him to those around me. Think about this. Babylon has, received, ha- has reached its expiration date. It's, it's over. So, and, and, the, and the kingdom is now being given over to the Medes and the Persians. How, uh, how, how important is this moment? The way that God sovereignly orchestrated all of this. How important is this moment where, where uh, Daniel was presented as the only hope, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, He's presented as the only hope to help this king and then, and then given this position of power right before the changing of the hands, right before the kingdom was given to the Medes and the Persians. Why do you think that is? Do you think that we would have this account today if that didn't happen? 
if God allowed Daniel to be treated the way that Belshazzar was treating him, he was, he was pushing him aside. He was, he was like, he, he's not worth much for me. He's, he's, it's okay if he's forgotten. God made sure that didn't happen. Why? Because the prophet had to be preserved so that his account of this story could be res- preserved. So that we could read it today so that, so that the, the God who rules the heavens, uh, it could, the information and the knowledge of him could be distributed to the nations to make it to us today. Isn't that awesome? God's sovereignty in this, even though it's a heavy story, you really stop and think about it, it's pretty cool. We, have, we need to keep asking questions. Why is this story in the Bible? Why is it in the book of Daniel? We need to start asking those questions. Well, we need to start asking, well, what's, what's this really truly about? Is it about kings? Is it about the children of Israel uh, living in exile? Yeah, but what is, what is it mostly about? This is a story about God. When we read the Bible, we have to know this is a story about God. It's the story about God's dealings with his people and the nations. This story that we just read is a story in a bigger story. It's a story of God, his dealings with his children of Israel, and that he is actually in this moment, he's still disciplining his people. And he's using exile, and he used the kingdom of Babylon for that purpose, to discipline his people. God raised up the, the, the empire of Babylon for a purpose. Babylon had God's purposes attached to it, and therefore it had an expiration date attached to it. So what about this particular story? Why, how does this kind of eerie story of this, of this wicked king um, you know, doing something stupid in his drunkenness and God totally humiliating him in front of everybody. Like, what, what is the point of this? Why, like, how does this story tell the bigger story? I think three, three ways. Babylon served its purpose. The, the, the kingdom and, and the empire of Babylon served the purpose that God had for it. The expiration date had come, and the 70 years prophecy where God said, I- I'm, I'm going to send you into exile, but for 70 years, was now coming to that point. Jeremiah 29 says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and, you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Babylon had served its purposes that God wanted it to serve, and now that is completed. Second way that this story tells the bigger story, Belshazzar served his purpose. In the same way that that Nebuchadnezzar served his purpose, you notice the two different ways that God got both kings to attribute and distribute. So Nebuchadnezzar attributed, finally he attributed to God what, what, what he deserves. And finally he distributed the knowledge of God to the nations through praise. God did a similar thing through Belshazzar, just different. 
we, we have and we, we're just made very clear where the glory of Babylon came from through the story of Belshazzar. And uh, the distribution of the knowledge of God is, is, is very well documented in this book for, for all to read. And Belshazzar, Belshazzar served his purpose. He was the weak king that made it more possible for the kingdom of Babylon to fall. Jeremiah 51, 54 through 57 actually is really interesting. It actually mentions drunkenness at the point of Babylon's fall. I'm just going to read it to you. Jeremiah 51, 54 through 57. It says, Oh, a voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, for the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters. The noise of their voice is raised, for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon. Her warriors are taken. Their bows are broken in pieces. For the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. And listen, I will make drunk her officials and her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Belshazzar served his purpose. And thirdly, Belshazzar's life serves a greater purpose because God is calling the nations to himself. And God uses all these things to orchestrate perfectly ways to draw people from all the nations to himself. And Belshazzar's life and Belshazzar's death is a call to us to come to him and know him. The God of the Jews shows mercy. We saw that in Nebuchadnezzar. But the God of the Jews also judges righteously. We see that in Belshazzar and his life and death. We learn from the life and death of Belshazzar that when the knowledge of God comes to us, it is for a purpose. It's so that we would know him and distribute and attribute and distribute the knowledge of him to everyone around us. We have to be careful. We have to be careful because the knowledge of God is making it to us. It has been distributed and it has made it to us. And the purpose is so you would know him. Do you know him? Now, I don't mean just like, I know my higher power. Like, do you know this God? the God of this story, the God who raises up empires and drops them. Do you, I mean, do you know him? Have you taken the knowledge that has been distributed to you and surrendered to him? Maybe you, maybe you haven't yet. Maybe, maybe there's either someone here or someone who's listening that is still like Belshazzar, that is still in this place where you just, you take the, the God who is actually has your, bre- your, your very breath in his hands and your very life in his hands 
and you haven't attributed to him that you have life and breath because of him. It's been given to you from him. Maybe you haven't reached that point yet. Maybe you've been attributing to the things that are worthless. Maybe you've been uh, giving more credit to things um, that are the creatures or the created things rather than the creator. If that's you, if you don't know him yet, and I I don't just mean like, am I a Christian? Because some people are born up, they're, they're, they're born in, in a Christian home. They just attach that title to themselves. They go along through life and they never really ask this question, do I know him? So I'm gonna ask you today, if that's you and you're not sure if you know him, this God, Instead of like Belshazzar who actually raised himself up against the Lord, don't raise yourself against him. Raise up your voice and call upon him. He's merciful. He won't turn you away. He never turns away those who come to him. So so like Belshazzar, actually unlike Belshazzar, take the opportunity of the knowledge that you have and submit your life to him today. Don't delay. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait for the writing on the wall. That's where this expression comes from, which is the day of judgment. Don't wait until it's too late. Call upon him while he is near. Call upon him while the opportunity has been given to you right now. He's so good. You know that he, that this king actually, just King Jesus, came down from his throne and was completely humiliated for you so that you wouldn't have to be condemned, so that you wouldn't have to fear the writing on the wall so that you could be one who experiences his his eternal life through his death. Come to him. He'll forgive you. He'll accept you. He'll change you. He'll give you a new heart that beats for him. Through the ups and downs of the rising and the falling of kingdoms, he'll keep you. And he rose from the grave so that he could pull you out of the gutter and keep you forever and treasure you. We sang a song earlier uh, that, that he treasures wretches to make a wretch's treasure. And he just like prizes and he keeps his own. So if you're not sure if you know him today, you can stop now and just surrender to him. It's that easy. Call upon Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've done that, then find somebody and tell them. For the rest of us, 
How can we relate to this? How do we do with this? Well, we can also know that the kingdoms of this world have purposes. The kingdoms that are in our time have purposes behind them. And, and because they have those purposes, they also have expiration dates. What about our nation? What about our kingdom? Are we able to really stop and accept the fact that the U.S. has an expiration date? It's us. It's got God's purposes behind it. He's got purposes for the U.S. And one day those purposes will be over. How differently would you live if you knew that you were on the Titanic and you knew that it was sinking? I'm going to challenge probably the, the most prominent view of ex eschatology. So hopefully we can still be friends after this. The most prominent view of es eschatology says pretty much this. The, the U.S. will continue as it is until we're whisked away by Jesus. Now, I'm not, I don't have anything against pre-tribulation rapture. Like, that, may, that might be true. But I'm saying that, that if your worldview, if your eschatology doesn't give you a framework for a hard exile, you need to rethink it. Why? Because if you're not ready for the expiration date, you're going to be frantically panicking. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be ready. I want you to be standing on solid ground. I want you to like, if, if it comes time where, where the ship is sinking, I don't want you to be freaking out. I want you to be uh, standing on a firm foundation with peace that can't be touched. Are you ready for the possibility that God has already raised up another world power? to overtake the U.S. I'm not saying, I'm not prophesying, saying, are you ready for that possibility? What if the U.S. was no more by 2024? What if? What if that moment comes where, like Daniel and his companions, like we're stripped from our homes and we have to live underneath another power where, where our faith is not welcome. We have to practice it in secret. Like, are you that invested in the kingdom of God already to where that actually wouldn't be so jarring for you to where you're in now panic and freak out mode and you're grasping at, with all of your strength all the way down with the ship? Like, where are you at with that? Are you ready for that possibility? We need to start asking, what are God's purposes for the U.S.? What are God's purposes for me in the U.S.? It's to attribute and distribute. A tribute to God. See, see, I'm not saying that the U.S. doesn't have power and strength and glory. It does. But, but let us attribute where that belongs. Where did that come from? Why do we have this power? Why, do, why are we where we are? 
and then distribute the knowledge of him everywhere. I think we need to see ourselves as on a sinking ship. I really do. I really think that the way that we need to see ourselves within the U.S. is we are on, we are, we are in a nation that has an expiration date. There is one kingdom. Remember the vision, the, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? How many kingdoms were left standing after the stone came and hit the great image? How many? There was one. There's only one, and it isn't ours. Jesus' kingdom will go on forever. That is the kingdom that we put our trust in. That is the one that we invest in. So if we're to see ourselves as on a sinking ship, I think the kingdom of God is not a ship. It's an island. or It's, it's, it's a city that's sending out lifeboats. So I think we need to start asking ourselves, like, what is the purpose for the U.S.? What's my purpose in the U.S.? How can I get to this point to where I'm not frantically scrambling if that expiration date comes? And so if we're seeing ourselves as being on a sinking ship, how do we get ourselves in that, to that point? And that's where I want all of us to be, you guys. How much different should we live if we know the ship is sinking? So I just have a few things that I think will help. Number one, strategically engage in cruise activities to save the passengers. Strategically engage in cruise activities to save the passengers. There are a lot of things to do in this life. We're, we don't have to completely separate ourselves from all of it. We can see it all like Daniel when he saw the offering of the gifts First time he refused it because he's like, it's not worth anything. Like how, how worthless is this position of third rule in a kingdom in, a, in an empire that won't even be here tomorrow? So he, he understood that, that it wasn't worth much. But when he received it, why did he receive it? He received it because he thought, ooh, like what? How could God use this? How could this be a strategic moment for God to use me to attribute and distribute? Virtually every cruise ship has bars, theater, live music, and dancing, and magic shows, and comedy shows, and all of that. This, this nation is similar. Like, we have a lot going on that we can be a part of. We can see it as a way to strategically reach and, and rescue those to point to the lifeboats and say, like, hey, did you know? that, uh, that th th this ship is sinking? Did you know that there's a city that isn't? You can use all of it. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 29, 5-7 tells us that while that they were in exile, they were told to build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat produce and marry and build a family and multiply and seek the welfare of the city and pray for it. So we can do all of that why? Like we can, we can see all of it for a purpose and strategically use it all to save passengers. Number two, spread the word about the city that sends out lifeboats. Spread the word about the city that spreads out 
sends out lifeboats. Man, this world needs, uh, this world needs so bad to be pointed to something that isn't sinking. You know the young people that you see that are, they're, maybe they're a little bit frustrating. They have like bumper stickers that say like America was never great or something like that. It's like that's frustrating for me. But what are they doing? They're, they're expressing, they're like, well, I, I see like they have a sense that it's all sinking and they know there's more. That's all they're doing. Don't get angry with them and, and, and start a fight with them. Understand why they are coming to that point. They innately know there's more. And we need to point them to it. That's our job. Our job is to attribute and distribute the knowledge of him everywhere we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 tells us of our purpose. This is so good, you guys. This is whether we like it or not, God is using us to spread the knowledge of him everywhere we go. So this is God doing this. Listen, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the knowledge of the fragrance of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So as we're pointing people to Christ and we're pointing people to the everlasting kingdom that will not sink, some of them are going to believe us and some of them aren't. But regardless, we are a fragrance of Christ to them. And the purpose for that is so that we can spread the knowledge of him. The knowledge of Christ and his saving power everywhere we go. So spread the word. (laughs) Thirdly, hold loosely to what will go down with the ship. Hold loosely to what will go down with the ship. You know, instead of admitting uh, a defeat and, hum- and humbling himself, Belshazzar, he couldn't let go of his kingdom. He died clinging to it. And even though he gave Daniel the third position of, of the highest, third highest ruler in, in the kingdom, man, he held on to number, number one position until the bitter end. We need to get really good at giving away what we can't keep. We need to get really good at giving away what can be taken from us. We need to get really good at surrendering everything to Jesus and save everything that he's given us. Man, Jesus, what is your purpose for this? And, and saying, this is yours to do whatever you want with it. My marriage is yours. My family is yours. My talent is yours. My business is yours. My citizenship, my home, my savings. All of it has been given for a purpose with an expiration date for his glory. And to come to that point to get really good at just surrendering. Surrendering. Jesus, this is, this is for your purposes, not for me. 
All of these things, the ability to do all of these things are sourced in gospel realities. I'm gonna give you three gospel realities that are the source for us to be able to do these things. Strategically engage in cruise activities to save passengers, spread the word about the city that sends out lifeboats, and hold loosely to what you, what will go down with the ship. I'm gonna give you three gospel realities that give us the ability to do all these things. And uh, with that, Sam, you can, you can come on up because I know you're going to lead us in a, in a, in a song because this won't take long. But uh, this is good news, you guys. Number one, though God has numbered the days of every kingdom of the earth and will eventually bring them all to an end, the days of Christ's kingdom have no end. That's good news because though our nation be a sinking ship, our true nation is eternal and untouchable. Number two, though every one of us has been weighed in the balances and found wanting before the judge of all the earth, Christ has been weighed in the balances and found flawless, and he stands before the Father on our behalf. That's good news because those of us who are in Christ don't have to fear the writing on the wall on Judgment Day. Isn't that good, you guys? And lastly, though our kingdom may soon be divided, it could happen and given to another world power. And though even if we had enemies surrounding us on every side, even if that were the case, our worst enemy has already been defeated. Death. It has already been defeated at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's good news because it means that if we are in Christ... We don't have to frantically scramble like Belshazzar to preserve and conserve and hunker down and freak out. I'll finish with this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.